Welcome to the Shift Gold Friday Gold Wrap, your overview of this week's precious metals news. It's Friday, September 10th. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. Thanks for tuning in. To taper or not to taper? That is the question. And the market still thinks taper is the answer, apparently. As a result, gold was not able to hold on to the gains it made after the dismal jobs report we got last week. I mean, we had a huge miss in job creation, and gold rallied solidly above $1,800 an ounce. Now, given that employment is one of the primary gauges the Fed is supposedly using to determine its monetary policy, everybody thought the weak jobs report might mean a delay in the inevitable taper, and that makes sense. But I guess after thinking about it over the long Labor Day weekend, everybody decided the taper is coming anyway. We had the biggest daily tumble in the gold price in about a month, and the yellow metal dropped back below that $1,800 an ounce level. It just can't seem to hold that at this point. A stronger dollar and rising treasury yields created headwinds for gold. So why? Well, who knows anymore? I mean, the real there wasn't any data that came out that drove the market down. It's just this persistent belief that the Fed is ready, set, go on tapering quantitative easing. Now, at some point, the markets are going to get it right. You know, it's the old stop clock syndrome. There will be a taper. I mean, you can't do emergency crisis monetary policy forever, right? I mean, I don't think you can. So, I mean, you have to assume at some point the Fed will taper. But I don't think the taper will last long when it gets here. Because the only thing propping up this rickety economy is the monetary stimulus. The Fed is going to go right back to QE. I mean, the addict has to have its drug. Think about this for a second. The Fed has been running extraordinary monetary policy for a year and a half. It's been buying $120 billion, give or take, in bonds every single month. It has doubled the size of its balance sheet. It has pumped trillions of dollars into the economy. And what have we got for it? Well, total non-farm employment remains 5.3 million jobs below February 2020's peak. We've had some solid GDP numbers, but of course you would expect that given the entire economy basically stopped for a couple of months. So you're going to get growth, you know, when you start from zero. But even that growth is slowing down. The Fed has reduced its Q3 forecast from 6% to 3.7% over the past month. Bank lending has turned negative in year-over-year measures in recent months, both in real estate and commercial loans. I was promised a V-shaped recovery. This is it. I'm not impressed. Ryan McMakin over at the Mises Institute, really, he put it perfectly. He said, given these levels of stimulus, we should be talking about an overheating, booming economy, given these levels of stimulus. And yet, despite all of this stimulus, we've been minimally stimulated. And people think the Fed is just going to turn off the stimulus. People are selling gold. I don't think that's very smart. I think it was Ronald Reagan that said the nine most terrifying words in the English language are, I'm with the government and I'm here to help. This is a prime example of government screwing things up. Government wrecks everything it touches. It promises the moon and it gives us a watered down cup of tang. 
So yesterday, Joe Biden announced a comprehensive national COVID-19 strategy. Now, when you hear about this grandiose plan, I want you to remember it is brought to you by the same people who brought you the Afghanistan withdrawal and the V-shaped recovery. Now, I know this is a little bit outside of the scope of the show, but I, I do want to touch on this for a second because I think this is extremely important. Part of this plan is mandatory vaccines. Uh, they're going to force companies with over 100 employees to require vaccines or I think biweekly or weekly testing. Now, I don't know what you think about the vaccine. I'm quite frankly not convinced it's the panacea a lot of people think it is. I mean, just look at Israel, one of the most vaccinated countries in the world, and they're having this big surge in the Rona. The New York Times actually even wrote about it. The subheadline was this. One of the most vaccinated societies, Israel, now has one of the highest infection rates in the world, raising questions about the vaccine's efficacy. And it's interesting, if you read the article, it actually talks about the fact that the spike was primarily in affluent middle-class neighborhoods where vaccination levels were the highest. You would expect them to be in some of the Orthodox Jew areas where they've chosen not to get the vaccine, but it's not. It's in the vaccinated areas that we're seeing this big spike. Now, to me, it's clear the vaccine won't keep you from getting COVID. I mean, it's obvious. I personally know people that have gotten the shot and then gotten COVID. Now, I do think it's fair to say that the vaccination might keep you from getting as sick as you would if you hadn't gotten the vaccine. But I really think a lot of people think if you get the jab, you won't get sick. And that's simply not true. So scapegoating people who choose not to get the shot as some grave danger to society is a bit unfair. You can get jabbed and still get sick and still spread the disease, right? So to me, that puts all of the, the mandate stuff into question. And really, even putting that aside, even if this was the most amazing medicines of all medicines ever created, nobody has a right to make you inject it into your body, period. It really comes down to one of the most fundamental questions you can ask yourself. Who owns me? Now, the correct answer is you own yourself, Ownership is the ability to direct your actions. If you have property, that gives you the right to control that property. You own yourself. If somebody else has the right to direct your actions, then they are exercising ownership over you. So yes, that means you are a slave. If the government can demand that you inject a substance into your body and use coercion to make you do it, well, Basically, it can do anything to you that it wants because it owns you. People had better start thinking about the ramifications of all of this because it goes far beyond pandemic policy. And quite frankly, if you ask me, what we're seeing here is really quite chilling. And, you know, here's another thing. I'll bet dollars to donuts that this comprehensive federal policy won't work. It won't work any more than slapping stickers six feet apart on the floor or 14 days to flatten the curve or masks or lockdowns or any of the rest of it. Government central planning never works, and it usually makes things worse. As I said, government wrecks everything it touches.
I've got a really good example of this is that, that's a little bit more in line with the theme of the show. This is interesting. The Federal Reserve is helping corporate real estate investors evict poor people from mobile home parks. You heard that right. Federal Reserve policy is getting people evicted from mobile home parks. NPR actually highlighted this story, the growing number of mobile home park evictions. According to the report, real estate investors are buying up mobile home parks across the U.S. They then raise lot rents and fees, and then they evict the people who can't pay. Now, as the report explains, the government makes this scheme possible with easy financing through agencies such as Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Here's how it works in a nutshell. This is from the NPR report. A company raises rates and fees in a park. That makes the park more valuable, so they can now borrow more money against it, kind of like when you refi your house and get cash out of the deal. They pull out, say, $3 million, and they use that to go buy another mobile home park, and then they do that again and again. It's a cash cascade of borrowed money. And often, these loans are backed by the U.S. government. They provide very, very low-cost debt for these investors to get enough cash out to buy additional parks. The loans have super cheap interest rates because they're guaranteed by Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, the government-backed entities at the heart of the U.S. mortgage market. So, kind of impressed, NPR gets part of the story right. In fact, it's really impressive that they didn't just pin the whole, you know, the whole thing on greedy capitalists, that they actually recognized that the government is complicit in this boondoggle. Nevertheless, NPR misses the biggest player in this game, the Federal Reserve. I mean, nobody ever pays attention to the Fed, right? But they are the ones that make this whole thing possible. NPR asserts that interest rates are low because the government backs these loans. And that is certainly part of the equation. When you have government backing, that means the risk is lower, and that means you can charge a lower interest rate. But it is the central bank that actually pushes interest rates to artificially low levels. And not only that, it's the Fed that makes it possible for these quasi-governmental agencies to continue to buy loans. The Fed does this through its quantitative easing program. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac don't actually make loans. Private banks are still lending out the money. The banks then sell the mortgages on the secondary market, and that's where Freddie and Fannie step in. These government-backed enterprises buy mortgages, and then they package them into mortgage-backed securities, MBS. As Investopedia explains, an MBS represents an interest in the pool of mortgages. And like bonds, an MBS makes coupon payments to investors. This was the whole thing that underlied the mortgage meltdown in 2007 that led to the financial crisis. We had all of these subprime loans that were packaged into securities. They were sold. When all these mortgages started going bad, these MBSs tanked, and then all of the holders had problems. That's what created this whole cascade. By selling mortgages on the secondary market, banks can also shed the risk inherent in lending money. So when Fannie and Fannie buy a mortgage, they also buy the risk of non-payment. Securitizing the risk, bundling them, and selling mortgage-backed securities dilutes the risk even further. 
With multiple mortgages bundled together into one security, one or two defaults theoretically won't have much impact on the MBS. It's like a mutual fund. If you have a whole bunch of stocks bundled together, if one tanks, the rest of them kind of pull the weight. So it doesn't make that big of a difference. But as we saw in 2007, when the entire housing market crashes, things can slow snowball very quickly. Now enter the Federal Reserve. It buys these mortgage-backed securities from Freddie, Fannie, and also Jenny May. This provides these operations with cash that enables them to buy even more mortgages, meaning banks can sell more mortgages to Freddie and Fannie and then turn around and lend more money. So you can see how the Fed is perpetuating this cycle. The Fed's intervention into the mortgage markets, along with its interest rate cuts, keep mortgage rates far below their natural levels. In effect, it juices the mortgage market. This is a big reason we've seen home sales boom over the last several months and housing prices rise as the U.S. economy emerges from the pandemic. As governments shut down the economy in response to COVID-19, the Fed launched what we've called QE Infinity. That crisis mode monetary policy, as I mentioned earlier, remains in place to this very day. And as part of this extraordinary monetary policy, the Fed is buying, on average, $120 billion in U.S. Treasuries and mortgage-backed securities every single month. Of that, the central bank spends about $40 billion per month buying MBS. Now, I should note that the Fed creates money out of thin air to buy these securities, right? This entire operation would be impossible were it not for the central bank's ability to monetize debt, to basically print money to buy the debt. In effect, Freddie and Fannie can buy all the mortgages it wants, knowing that the Fed will take some of them off their hands and infuse them with more cash. This process obliterates any semblance of restraint in the mortgage market. So NPR stumbled on the truth when it identified Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae's role in facilitating this takeover of mobile home parks, but they didn't go far enough. They missed the wizard behind the curtain that keeps this entire scheme afloat the Federal Reserve. This is yet another way the Fed distorts the economy. It drives misallocations of resources. It transfers wealth from the poor to the rich. And it generally wrecks havoc, which is pretty much what government does, right? This is a good reason to own gold. You should always be ready for some kind of chaos unleashed by government. I know how to help you with that. Talk to a shift gold precious metal specialist today. Call 1-888-GOLD-160 or email info at shiftgold.com. Talk to a Shift Gold Precious Metal Specialist. These guys are fantastic. They will look at your personal situation, your investment goals, your portfolio, and they'll help you see how precious metals can fit into your investment strategy. So give them a call, shoot them an email, do it today. That is a gold wrap for this week. You can get more details on all of these stories and more. Keep up with the latest precious metals news and analysis throughout the week over at shiftgold.com news. If you haven't done it already, you can subscribe to the Friday Gold Wrap at iTunes or on the Shift Gold YouTube channel or on Stitcher. You'll find links to this stuff over on the show notes page. I appreciate you listening to the show. I hope you have a fantastic weekend and I'll talk to you again soon.